now to. Many of us will live with our pain, our suffering, our, our shame, or guilt. We'll live with these things. But it's almost like this. If we, if we have all of these things attached to our lives, then it actually holds us back from becoming everything God wants us to be. See, it's important for us to let certain things go. Because God sees so much more for us. He sees the future and the hope. It's important for us to let these things go. If not, it's kind of like this. We have this thing attached to us, and it's, it's kind of like a bungee cord that's attached to our past and our present life. And, and we'll experience these things called pain because we'll all deal with them. So we have pain that happens in our life. We have, we have shame. And so we, we got to deal with the shame, the shameful things that we've been doing. Many of us will carry this thing called guilt. And so we hang on to these things for a long time. But we don't know what to do with them. It's still stuck in our lives. And, and then we, we're stuck to this thing called fear. And so we live with fear. And we wonder, how do we make decisions? And many of us make decisions based on fear rather than love. We fear. And so we don't know how to make certain decisions. Or we, we base our life out of fear and the decisions that we make. And then we, we deal with this thing called anger. And we don't know how to get rid of this. And we're wondering, why is it that, that I, have to, I have to do certain things so that I can hide this stuff? Why, why is it that we feel we have to put a smile on the outside, hopefully hiding what's on the inside? And so we live in a world, in a society that says, but if you pursue your dreams, all of this will go away. If you get married, all of this will go away. If you make more money, then all of this will go away. But it's really not going away. Actually, what happens is the devil gives us the mindset that says, you're free. You can do whatever you want. You're free. And, this, and, and, and he'll even cause us to believe that because we can move around in life, oh, I can get married, I can have children, that, that I'm fine. Because it, it's not bothering me. That's in my past. It's not bothering me. But after a while, I begin to find out that I can only go so far in my life. And I can only go up into a certain point where now my past starts pulling me back rather than me moving forward. And so we think we're moving forward, but we're really not. We're just going in circles. We're just doing the same things over and over. And so when we can't deal with all of these things, we just we throw everything on the side and then we say, well, I'm going to start new. I'm going to start a new relationship. I'm going to start a new job. I'm going to start a new family. And we think all of this stuff is gone, but it's still there. And we don't know how to take care of it. We don't know how to, to get rid of it. It's still there. It's still pulling us back. And we're all going to deal with this because this is what life consists of. There are things that take place in our life that we're not happy about. We're, we're ashamed of. We don't know what to do with it. Well, there's a story in the Bible, in the book of Samuel, Second Samuel, that I'm going to uh, talk about this morning. And in our series, Understanding God, there are certain things that God says you need to let go of because there are certain things He understands that if we don't let go of, we're not going to have this future and the hope that He promises for us. He's saying this is a part of the process of you coming to know me as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior. I can save you. And when you get to heaven, all of this is gone. But there's, there's a part of this relationship with God that He is Lord over, that He's saying, I want to be Lord of your life. Therefore, these things got to go. 
But we can't do this on our own. We, we can't take care of all of these things by ourselves. We need God's hand for us to take care of these things. Now in this story, you're going to find that there's, there's many things that we need to let go of. And if you're doing your devotions along with us, you're going to come across this story. But it's the story of when Saul became the king of Israel. Saul was anointed the first king of Israel. But then after his death, now his son, Ishbosheth, should become the king. But then at the same time, here is David, who has been anointed king because God's hand had left Saul. Remember, Saul did some things that were disobedient. And so God's anointing left him. So now we have this inside family feud. Remember now, there were 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes. And now you have these different tribes. And within these tribes, one of the tribes said, you know what, David was anointed king. How about let's make him our king? And that was the tribe of Judah. And so the tribe of Judah said, let's make David our king. But then the other tribe said, no, 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 no. It needs to be Saul's son. Well, David has a commander by the name of Joab. And Saul's lineage, his son Ishbuseth, has a commander named Abner. You got to keep up with me. This is, this is going to get real family feudish. So you have Joab as the commander and Abner as the commander. And now you have this civil war taking place. Well, now one day you have these two guys sitting in this pool of Gibeon. They're sitting opposite of each other. And so then Abner has this bright idea. He says, hey, Joab, why don't you choose 12 men? I'll choose 12 men and then let them do some battle. And so Joab says, okay, let's, let's do that. Well, they battle, they fight, and they, they, they kill one another. Well, Joab has two other brothers. And his two other brothers, one of them named Asahel, who was, the Bible says, fleet-footed like a gazelle, was a fast runner. And he had another brother named Abishai. And so now you have Joab and you have his brothers Asahel and Abishai, and they're, they're in this battle. Abner leaves because they're being defeated. They all flee. Because Asahel is fast, he starts to pursue Abner. So he goes after Abner, and Abner finds out that, wait a minute, he's pursuing me. And Abner turns around and he says, Asahel, what are you doing? Turn around, lest I strike you and your brother gets mad at me. I know your brother. And Asael says, no, I'm going to take you down this day. And Abner gives him chance after chance. And finally, Abner says, okay. And Abner kills him. So now that this takes place, the civil war becomes even worse. Because now Joab, who's the commander of the army of David, finds out that his brother has been killed by Abner. And so now Joab wants to seek revenge. And that's brewing in the heart of of Joab. I want to read to you in 2 Samuel. This is where we pick up 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 22. Abner wants to, wants to do well as the commander. At the same time, Ishbuseth accuses Abner of sleeping with Saul's concubine. 
And Abner says, wait a minute, what, you accuse me of doing this? Are you crazy? This is what I want to do. I believe in the mission that we're supposed to be accomplishing, which is being the commander of the army. I'm going to make this a great nation. But how dare you accuse me? So now Abner goes to David and says, David, why don't we just join forces, make one kingdom? Why don't we just do that? And so here's where we pick up. At the moment, this is verse 22 of 2 Samuel chapter 3. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. So when Abner came to David to make this, you know, this deal, David said, well, okay, and let Abner go. Then Joab's, Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he is already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner who brought him back from the well of Syrah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately. Now, catch the picture. Abner kills Asahel, Joab's brother. Now, after a little time goes by, Joab wants to speak with Abner. What would you do if you were Abner? Like Joab is saying, hey, come, I'd just like to talk to you real fast. Come, let's go take a walk. Let's go take a fast walk. Come on, we just talk story. We just talk, we just talk. And so Abner agrees. So Abner goes with Joab to speak. And there Joab stabs him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. In verse 30, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. In verse 35, and when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day... David took an oath saying, God, do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince... And a great man has fallen this day in Israel. And I am weak today, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So David's heart is basically this. When all of that took place... David didn't want to have revenge. and he, Because he knows that what's going to come out of it. He knows that if you continue to take revenge, that it's not going to stop. Because these are, you've got to remember, they're from the same family line. And so David is saying, look, we've got to make it one kingdom. We've got to bring unity. And this is not going to work out. Joab could not let go of what was done to his brother. So he looked for opportunities to seek revenge only to ruin his own life in the process. And how many of us ruin our own lives in the process of not letting go of something? We never let it go. 
Now, we're going to tackle a lot of things of letting go this morning. And, and, and maybe for some of us, letting go may not be revenge. Maybe letting go would be letting go of our past. Maybe it's letting go of, of our loved ones as, as they grow up and, and they become their own. Maybe it's, maybe it's letting go of, of, of somebody saying something mean to you. Maybe it's letting go of, of miscommunication or something that someone didn't intend to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that is holding us back. And, and you would know. I'm sure there's already things popping in our minds that we need to let go of. But we just don't know how to or we just choose not to. We just say, you know what? This is where I'm in life. I'm just going to live like this and that's it. But the problem is we don't know who else we're damaging. We think that it's my life, so it's not affecting me. But guess what? It affects everybody else too. And I'm sure people pick up on these things. We, we wonder, why am I angry all the time? Or we try to think, well, I'm not an angry person. But you ask people around you, they might say, well, you are an angry person. We may not realize it. We may not recognize it. But other people may recognize it. See, when we refuse to let go of our past hurts, it not only hinders us, but it hinders people who are close to us. Even our own children, as they continue to grow up, there are certain seasons in their life that we got to let go of. I mean, we, we don't give them a bottle at a young age and keep giving them the bottle as 15 turns around and, and as they turn 16 and 17. We transition them from that to solid foods and then so forth. It's the same thing as they continue to grow up. Here's what's hard as parents. When we see our kids grow up, we don't see them grow up. Because they're always at our homes. You know, when, it's like when, when we see our kids grow up, usually it's other people. When they visit, they'll say, wow, they've gotten so big. How old are you now? Fifteen. Oh, I remember when you were two. What happened to your voice? I don't know. You know, it's just a, like a transition took place. But we don't realize it because we're always with them. But other people do. And so even as parents, as our children transition, they're going to transition from two to three years old, five to seven, eight, nine years old. And then they hit those teenage years. That is all about transitioning. You know why? Because they're all looking forward to the magic number 18. Because 18, as teenagers, we're saying, oh, 18 years old, mom, dad, I'm going to move out. 18 years old, I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to buy my own place, get my own car, pay my own bills. And as parents, we're like, Go ahead. Go ahead. But for some reason, when we turn 18 and we blow out the candles, we say happy birthday, happy 18th birthday, and then we get some money from our birthday party. What then? It's not easy to just go out and get a job, easy to go get a place, easy to buy a car. It's not that easy. So what we do as parents, we say to our kids, here's what you need to do, A, B, C, D, because I don't want you to go through what I went through. In other words, what we're doing is we're saying, we don't want you to go through this. And so we try our very best as parents to say, here's, here's what will help you. But here's the problem that we don't see as parents. Our kids are not us. They're not us. They never will be. If God wanted another you, he wouldn't have created you. I just made that up now. So if, if it doesn't make sense, you've got to go to the Lord with that one. <laughs> Basically, what we do as parents is we parent our kids with all of this stuff hooked up. 
And we think because I have shame, our kids are going to have shame. If I have guilt, they're going to have guilt. If I have anger, they're going to have anger. So what we're saying is we don't want you to turn out like us, but they're not going to be us. They may have same character qualities like us. They may have same, you know, say certain things like us, but they have a different life. So how do we deal with even our children growing up? And, and how do we parent them? Because there are certain things that we need to let go, but what do we need to let go? How do we let go? See, we're all going to find some area that we need to let go of. But here's what we start off with. And we're going to look at a couple things that will help us to let go. The first thing is to remember this. Remember who's God. It, it, it sounds simple, hard to apply. Remember who's God. See, we cannot control another person's life. We try to, but we can't. Two things will happen. One, if we try to control someone else's life, they'll stay far away from us. And two, we'll go nuts because we can't control someone else's life. See, ultimately, God's in control. He's the one that, that, that holds everything in place. Yeah, but if God is in control, then why make decisions? I should just do whatever I want. And then if God is in control, isn't, doesn't he say all things will work together for good in the end? Yes, but our decisions will probably determine how long that will take. We make decisions like this. But for some of us, it takes years to let this stuff go. Because we've accumulated so many things. Relationship after relationship or... or, or or problem after problem, and we, we don't know what else to do because we're still stuck in it. And we don't know how to take care of it. See, when, when, when the Bible tells us that, that God is in control, His providence, He gives us certain kinds of authority so that as we exercise these authorities that He's given to us as parents, as, as teachers, or as a boss, or, or, you know, with the authority that He's given to us, as we exercise that, and we do it according to the will of God, then we see His hand in that. When we don't exercise the authority that He's given to us under His will and according to His will, and we do it ourselves, He's still in control. But now what we're trying to do is take control away from God and control things ourselves only to make things, plans, promises take longer to come to pass. For many of us, we know Jesus Christ and we say, but he's going to forgive me. Yes, he will. But, but there's a promise at the other side. When I choose to let certain things go, that's right up ahead. But when I refuse, it just takes longer for the promise to come to pass because I can't reach it. I'm still stuck to my past. I'm still stuck to the things that I refuse to let go. And God is saying, you got to remember who I am. Remember who I am. Because I have everything under control, but you're still going to make decisions with the authority I've given to you. He's even given us authority over our own lives. That's what choice is all about. But Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 20. He says, Jesus called them together and said, you know all, you know that the rulers of, in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus was saying there's power in the authority that God has given to us. The authority as parents, the authority over our own lives that we make these decisions, not based on our past, but based on the authority that God has given to us. See, when you understand God, you understand that He's given us the freedom to choose. That's authority. He says, but you've got to exercise that authority well. It's not to lord over people. It's actually to serve people. It's actually to help other people. Jesus models how to use authority. It's to serve, not to be served, not to take revenge. Well, what if I make bad mistakes? What if I make decisions? I mean, will things work out? Possibly, but it'll take a lot longer than if we chose otherwise. See, decisions make a big, it plays a big part in, in letting go. Because the decisions we make will always have consequences. We'll always reap consequences. See, we forge weapons that destroy ourselves. God forges tools that we need to let go of things. He'll say, I can, I can forge some tools too. You're forging weapons that are used against you and now it's holding you back. I can forge some tools that will help you to let those things go. But we got to remember who he is. It's not going to be us. See, we actually attract what we secretly harbor on the inside. And we may not even know it, but it's like it comes to us. You know, we secretly attract that which we harbor on the inside. Some years ago, we had this, uh, I called it a restaurant, uh, Cold Stone. It was the ice cream place in the plaza. And they served these different, you know, sizes of ice cream. You can get your own, you know, uh, toppings on it and they'll make it. But it, it tasted so good. And I loved that type of ice cream. After a while, people would give me coupons. They would give me, you know, certificates. Uh, Heidi even won a year supply of this Cold Stone ice cream. So I think we all gained weight during the season that they were here. After a while, I I told Heidi, I said, Heidi, why do I get all these things, the certificates and things, and why does this happen? I mean, how do people know I love this ice cream? And she said, because you show it. I said, what do you mean? She said, you know, you know when you're walking around the plaza and you have this thing in your hand? You're not even looking at anybody. You're smiling while you're eating this thing. You're like a little kid. You're smiling. People are telling you how you're like, hey, and just eating this ice cream. So you show that you love this thing. So that's why people would buy you these things. And then I thought, people know when we're dealing with this stuff. They know. We show it. And we don't even know it. God says, don't forget who I am. Because once we forget who God is and we don't remember who he is and and his promises, then we forget what he's able to do. That he's able to release us from all of these things that hold us down. Psalm 69, verse 36, uh, excuse me, 35 and 36, it says, For God is out to help Zion, rebuilding the wrecked towns of Judah. Guess who will live there? The proud owners of the land? No, no. The children of his servants will get it. The lovers of his name will live in it. You see, God is the one who gives us the strength. He's the one that will cause us to live in his promises. It's not going to be us. 
He's saying, I have so many promises up ahead, but you're refusing to let go of the things that weigh you down. You think you're living, but you can only go so far. And it's going to pull you back. See, he gives us the strength to be used to do good, not to do evil. But he needs to be Lord of our lives. He is the one who gives us the authority. He says, I'm the one who will do these things. You'll live in it for those who love my name. And he's saying who I stand for, who I am, my reputation, what I can do, my name. If you love my name, boy, the sky's the limit. But many of us, we, we choose the safe route. We choose the safe route of attending the church rather than being the church. And we'll say, I, I can attend, I can do that. But God says, no, you're supposed to be the church. You are the church, it's not a building. Because if we only attend and we forget we are the church, then we will never remember who God is because now it's a religion rather than a relationship. God says, I have, there's so much in your past that you do not know of and it's there. That's why you go into certain areas of your life that you can only go so far and other people recognize it and you don't. And we only go so far and then we wonder, why is it that I can't move forward? Why does it feel like I'm going in circles? Why can't I get better? God says, because you're hanging on to things that you refuse to let go of. Well, what about if uh, injustice has taken place? What if something has been done and, and, and I, I'm trying to do everything possible, but nobody's listening? Nothing's being done. What do I do from there? You do everything you can and you let God do the rest. But if you're trying to take over what only God can do, it's not going to happen. In other words, we're getting in the way of what God is trying to do. And God is saying, you got to let that go so that I can take care of it. You're just getting in the way. we got to remember who God is. Sometimes we forget who He is, but, but we also forget who we are, don't we? We forget who we are in Christ. That He died for us. He's given us power and authority over the things of this world. And we forget about that. There's a second thing that, we, that will help us. Don't lose sight of your calling. Don't lose sight of your calling. Now, what does that mean, calling? Because uh, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who leads in church. Well, what does that mean, a calling? The moment God creates us, attached with that is a calling, a purpose, potential. Purpose for living. Someone said it this way. God has given us all a gift called potential. What we choose to do with that gift is our gift to God. He gives us a gift called potential. What we choose to do with potential is our gift to Him. And God says, I've given it all to you. Everyone has different potential, but we all have it. We all have a calling. For some of us in this season right now, we're parents. You're a father, you're a mother, you're a grandparent. It's your calling. Only you can do that. You may feel like, oh, my calling is this position at business. But anybody can do that. Anybody can do what you do for a living. And to, to a certain point, yes, we're called to do certain things. But to be called in who I am in God, that's different. Because He'll, along with that calling, give us certain strengths and, and authority in that calling Don't forget who you are in Him. Job lost sight of his calling, Joab. And Joab 
kind of took matters into his own hands. And he sought revenge. As a father, as a mother, as a, as a servant of God, as a child, you have a calling. It's an important calling. Don't forget about that. Never lose sight of your calling. Our children, as they continue to grow up, they have a calling too. They, they're, they're becoming someone. They're becoming someone who God made them to be. And although we can see certain things and we can help in the process... They can't be us. That's why Jeremiah 29, 11, it tells us specifically, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Not us. It's the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Here's the eye-opener. When we read that scripture, that God knows the plans that He has for us. He knows the plans that He has for me. We read that and we think, wow, thank you, God. It's for future and hope. I receive that. But we forget that's for other people too. That's for our children. That's for our loved ones, our grandchildren, our husband, our wife. It's for our family. Each individual person God has plans for. And it's for future and a hope. He gives that. That's, that's part of His promise. But sometimes we forget that even as parents... So when our children grow up and, and they're trying to decide, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? We try to push them in an area we want them to go into. But they're saying, but that's not me. But we're trying to push them to make them something we want them to be. And it's all under good intent. The heart is there. It's because we love our children. We want what's best for them. But what do you do when, when you want your children's, children to go one way, and, but they're saying, but I want to pursue this direction? What do you do then? How do you let that go? Here's one key thing that has helped me. Relationship is far more important than who's right. Because watch this. Let's just say we force our children to do something. And they resent us as parents. And then they become successful in the world. What good is that? Oh, they're good because that's what we wanted. We wanted them to be successful. We wanted them to, to be well taken care of. They have a great family, but there's no relationship there. What's more important? Now, I know we want the balance and we want both. We want them to do well and have a good relationship. So that's why relationship is very important because in the long haul of things, you want to have a good relationship. So there's certain things we let go here so that we can still hang on to them here as far as the relationship goes. It's not a controlling thing. It's a forward planning looking kind of thing that we're saying, okay, this is where we are. Here's some advice. No, I don't like to do that. This is what will work. Well, I don't think so. This is what I want to do. What's going to be more valuable at that point? Relationship or who's right? It's a tough decision. But I'm so glad that he knows the plans that He has for us. It's not for evil. It's for good. It's to give us a future and a hope. See, if the relationship stays good, and the relationship stays good with God, and if His promise is true, which it is, that He causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God and are called according to His purpose then we can let go. Because in the long haul, all things will work out together for good. 
Now, letting go doesn't mean that you forget. Letting go doesn't mean that, wait a minute, somebody did something to me, so how can I forget about that? It's still in my mind. Some tragedy happened when I was young. How do I forget about that? I can't forget. But you can let go. Letting go and forgetting are two different things. See, letting go of all this junk means that it's still there. But you continue to let it go. You continue to move forward. You continue to press forward and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. It'll still be there. But once you let it go, after a while, you can move further. You won't be attached to it. So even if you remember it, it's not going to hold you back because you already let it go. It's a tough thing to do. But when you release, it actually helps to progress into the future. In high school, when Heidi and I were dating, she had a lot of friends. So, you know, I would get jealous a lot. I'd be like, oh, how come you talking to that guy? How come you talking to them? Some of them were her cousins. Oh, how come you got to hang around him all the time? And she's like, that's my family. I'm like, oh, what about me? <laughs> so after a while, we had to deal with that. And, 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 and the moment we got married, this is what God spoke to me. He said, you got to let that go. Because in my heart, this is, and this is what many of us say, I just want Heidi for myself or whoever it is. You're saying, but I just want them for myself. I don't want anybody else to be around them. I want them for myself. It's a thing called jealousy. And the devil loves jealousy. And he'll put that into our lives and, and that will hinder us from becoming the husband or the wife or the person we're supposed to be. And it gets stuck in our past and we can't, hey, broken. Look at that. That means I can move forward. Huh. So think about it. If you let things go, you can look back and it's still there. But it no longer holds on. I love that. But here's what you're going to have to do, which is very critical. You're going to have to refuse to go back and try to hook that thing back up because of what other people say or what the devil is speaking to you. Oh, it's easy to hook back up. It's easy to just attach it back on. It's just a clip away. But thanks be to God that he knows the plans, the purpose for us, that he has a calling on our life, that we're supposed to be way better than what that is. Otherwise, we're stuck. He says, you got to let those things go. Till this day, if, if I've never let certain things go, I would never be the father or the husband or the grandparent that I'm supposed to be today. And I would have forgotten about my calling. If you refuse to let certain things go in your past, then you'll forget who you're called to be as a child of God. You're not going to accomplish everything God created you to accomplish. And for some reason, many of us are satisfied with mediocrity. And God says, when you let these things go, I'm telling you, it'll be a whole lot different. Now, you're free to live. Can I forget who I'm called to be? Now, here's the danger. When you refuse to let this go, and you refuse to let all those things that weigh you down go, it won't be too long till it drags you back. 
It'll come up over and over again. That's what happened to Joab and Abishai. They never let it go. It's recorded in Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 30. And it's recorded. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. Here's the danger. And this is what we find with Joab and Abishai. I want you to catch this because this is very important. Abner killed Asahel in the heat of battle. It was what they decided to do. Joab and Abishai killed Abner in cold blood. In other words, they became worse than what was holding them down. They became worse than Abner because they sought revenge. Abner gave, gave Asahel a chance. But Joab and Abishai became a whole lot worse than Abner himself. That teaches us this. When we refuse to let go, we become just like what holds us down. We become an angry person. We put guilt on other people. We make other people feel ashamed of themselves. We put all of these on other people. We become just like this and maybe even worse. So how do we deal with that? When all of this evil is in our hearts, what do we do? Here's the last thing, and this will help us in our hearts. Choose humility. Choose humility over revenge. See, humility will destroy the evil that's in our hearts. Only humility can do that. Humility doesn't mean you're weak. It takes more strength to be humble than it is to act like we're strong. Humility is strength. Humility doesn't mean you're weak. It just takes more strength to humble yourself than to seek revenge. To lay things on the side. Now let's finish this sentence if you can with me, okay? Some of us will know this. Because we try to seek revenge, but, but this is what the Bible says. And I'm going to say these words, but finish it for me, okay? Vengeance is mine. That's what God says. He says, vengeance is mine. In other words, I can do a much better job of vengeance than you could ever. I will do a, a greater job at this thing called vengeance because we take revenge based on what's happened in our past. God's vengeance is based on what can happen in our future. And he says, my vengeance is a whole lot better. When you take revenge, then what? You're worse. You're worse off than what has happened to you. But... If you let me do it, I'll work all things together for good. It'll be a whole lot better if I take care of it. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? When he stretched out his arms and died for all of us? He could have said to his disciples, Okay, remember that soldier right there? Oh, remember that guy, okay? Just remember that guy. Because I want you to take revenge and take them out. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know what Jesus was saying? He's saying, Father, they have no idea how critical this point of history and how critical this point in life is right now. They have no idea. So, Father, please forgive them. Don't take out your vengeance on them, Father. Take out your vengeance on me. And because Jesus died on the cross and God was pleased at this sacrifice... 
then God's anger towards sin was subsided. God was pleased with the death of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we don't need to seek revenge. It has been taken care of on the cross. We can let these things go and live our life to its fullest. Otherwise, we keep going backwards. Choose humility. Humility is a strength. It's not a weakness. It's not so people run us over. It's so that we can stand strong and continue to move forward. James 4 tells us like this, you are, an un, you are like unfaithful wives, having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose that says... The Spirit whom He has caused to dwell in us yearns over us, and He yearns for the Spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love. But He gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit, to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That is why He says, God sets Himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly. Those who are humble enough to receive it. You see, it's humility that destroys the evil in our hearts. You may feel like, but I have a hard time of humbling myself because I'm right in this thing. Well, you can't, yeah, you can be right. Yeah. And maybe you have the right to do certain things, but I look at it this way. Humility is just taking off of you what is holding you down. Humility is just washing off of your life that which is gross. Humility is just cleaning off the junk that should not be there. That's what humility is. We just got a brand new puppy. Now, when you get a brand new puppy, they slobber all over you. They're so happy to see you. They're just licking you on the face and your arm, and and they have slobber on them. I will not let that slobber kick in on my body. I'm not going to have them slobber on me and say, Oh, this is so nice. I'm going to go in the sun and let this thing dry up. It feels so good on my face. It's like mud. It must be good for my pores. I do not let that thing go. Why? Because it's gross. I wash that thing off as quick as possible. You will too if something gross lands on you. If you hate cockroaches and one flies on you and you smash it on your arm, first of all, you're all, ah, and then you go wash it off. Why? Because something gross is on you. Well, this stuff, all of this junk, is not on us. It's actually in our lives. Humility cleans out the junk. Humility says to God, I need you. Humility says, I don't have the strength and power to cleanse this, all this junk, but you do. Therefore, I humble myself under your hand and now God gives us grace and cleanses us out. And he says, now all of these things I can take care of. I can take care of them because now you've chosen to let it Go. We need His blood to flow through our lives so that we can let it go. Give it to God. I want to do a quick exercise with you. I want you to hold up your right hand, and I want you to squeeze with your right hand your fist. Just squeeze as tight as you can. You got to hold your hand up, okay? Just squeeze as hard as you can, okay? Tight, real tight. Make the bugger come white. If you're already white, whiter. Just hold that thing tight. Hold it tight, real tight. Some of you, you're weak sauce right now. You're like, no, 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 power to the people. Just hold it tight, 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 real tight. 
I know some of you are thinking, oh, I get arthritis, I'm going to have to take ibuprofen. This illustration will work even better. So hold it tight, hold it tight. Just hang on to it, squeeze it, squeeze it real tight. Squeeze. Squeeze it like you're hanging on to someone's life that is just about to fall off a cliff. Okay, hang on to it. Somebody you love, okay? Hang on tightly, hang on tight. Just squeeze it as tight as you can. You got to hold your arm up. I know it's getting tired. Some of you are like this, like in high school, you got to raise your hand. Hold them up. Just hang on tight. Okay, now with your left hand, this is going to take some dexterity. Dexterity. Hold it tight. Hold it tight. With your left hand, just close your fist. Not tight. Then open it and close it real fast. Easy to do, huh? See? You can go fast. Now do that with your other hand. Go. <laughs> kind of hard to do. The longer you hang on to something, you can stop now. The longer you hang on to something, the harder it is to let go. So why do we hang on to things long? See, we can't open it up and close as fast as we can because there's no blood flow here, but this is where the blood is flowing. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. He covers us. He washes us clean. And he allows us to continue to move forward. I'm going to read Psalm 106 because Joseph, uh, excuse me, Joab could not let go of that which was holding him down. In Psalm 106, it tells us to praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? And he says, blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Not sometimes, at all times. Here it is. And if you want this whole message in a summary, here it is. Let go and let God. Amen. Close your Bibles. You're probably saying, we could have saved tons of time if you just said that in the beginning. Here's what I love about letting go and letting God is once we make the decision to let go, now we can forget about this. We, we may remember things, but it's not going to hurt and it's not going to be attached to us. We can just look at it and, and now, now because we let it go and we let God, now you know all of this stuff in our past, the, the anger, the guilt and, and all of these things, we can freely use this now as a testimony unto God's power his forgiveness and his healing to other people who are holding these things, to those that are carrying the burdens of guilt or anger, we now can say, listen, there's a better way. You don't have to hang on to these things. You can actually let it go and let God. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads and we're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you for, first of all, forgiving us of our sins and for showing us the way to live. Help us to never forget who you are. Because once we forget who you are, then, then everything else begins to weigh us down. But you take care of these things. You make all things new. But Lord, some of us, we still hang on to these things that are in our past. Or, or maybe not even to do with sin, but as parents, sometimes we have a hard time letting go. So help us to first let go of the things that hinder us from our calling, who you called us to be. I know there may be some here this morning, Lord, that they've never, they could never let go of their past because they don't know how to. They, they don't have enough power to forgive sins. They don't, they don't know how to do that. We don't have the power to release the sin in our lives. We don't, we don't have what it takes for us 
to be released from our past because we're not the ones who died for sin. You did. So you may be here this morning and you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ because there's certain things I just can't release. I've never given my heart to Jesus Christ and I didn't know that that was freely available. I thought I had to do certain things. And God says, no, it's a free gift to you. All you need to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want a Savior, could you just lift your hand right now and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to live with this shame no more. He's going to take it from me. I'm not going to live with this anger. He's going to deal with it. Good. Many of us, hold your hands up. Good. God sees your hand. He sees your heart. Yes, many. God bless you right here. Good. God sees your hand. Good. Good. Back there, God sees your hand. Lord, you see these hands, you know the hearts, you know exactly what they're going through. So, Father, right now I pray that as they give their lives to you, that in exchange, they will begin to see your promises unveil in their lives. Okay, put your hands down. We're going to pray this prayer, but especially for those who are saying yes to Jesus Christ for the first time. That this is the prayer that you're praying to connect you with God. It's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that makes all things new. It's a heart decision with God himself. We can all say this together, but here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Please wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe in you that you died on the cross. And that you rose again to give me a future and a hope. And so I look forward, declaring all things new. In Jesus' name. And Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, there's many of us who, who are believers or we follow you. We're disciples and we love you. And, and there are things that we have hung on to for such a long time, but we release that today. We ask, Lord, that you would take over. For too long, we've been hanging on to things. We choose today to let it go so that you can be God. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen. Amen.